Thank you, Dan. <laughs> well, you know my name's Andy now, and uh, if you don't know me, this has been our home church, Maureen and myself, uh, for many years. Yes, 1 Samuel, uh, we're going through that book. Uh, we're in chapter 11, as Dan said, on page 280 in the Church Red Bibles. Just a little bit of context. We're going back about 3,000 years. We're going back to the year something like 1025 BC. Um, The Israelites had had about 300 years, a bit more than that, of uh, pretty well living in turmoil, really, doing what they wanted to do, um, finding themselves in all sorts of bother. Every time that things got too mad for them, they cried out to God, and God in his grace uh, raised up leaders. We call them judges, and that is the book of Judges uh, just before the book of Samuel here. Um, currently, Samuel is their leader. He's a good man. He's a godly man, but he is struggling to be their leader because the people are so wayward. And we saw last week how the people, they were looking around at other nations, wanting to be the same and demanding a king, an earthly king. And Samuel tried to dissuade them from this, um, but they were insistent. And God spoke to Samuel in chapter 8, Uh, of this book and said don't worry it's me that they are rejecting not you and so we have a picture here of a nation that is rejecting God and yet still in that situation God still graciously answers the cries of people and works through individuals and that's a comfort to us isn't it that encourages me because I think today we're living in a nation which broadly has turned its back on God that wants to go and insisting on going a different way, and yet still in that situation, God will answer our cries and will raise up individuals to do his work. So Saul was uh, the king uh, that Samuel was guided to, uh, and we pick it up at the beginning of verse 11. Uh, And this passage ought to come with a bit of a health warning. There's some gory bits in it. I apologise for that. Now Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash, the Ammonite, replied, We will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so that we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. Let's just pause there and and try to set this scene. So Saul is king. In a way, he's just king-designate. He's not accepted as king universally by all the people of Israel. We found that in the very last verse that we had last week. Let me read it again. Some people, it said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him, that Saul, brought him no gifts. Um, So that's the situation. So Saul is king, but he's kind of king-designate. He hasn't really got a role at the moment. Now, Nahash uh, is the king of the Ammonites. We find that out in the next chapter. The Ammonites are a people, they've been descended from Lot, Abraham's nephew, but they're living right next door to the Israeli, uh, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, their territory. 
And uh, so he is king of the Ammonites. And he went up and besieged one of the Israelite towns, Jabesh Gilead. So just for perspective, that's about 20 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, but it's over on the east. It's the eastern side of the river. And it's right on the edge of the Israelite territory. And the Ammonites are their neighbours. And they're not good neighbours, but they're very strong neighbours because it says that when they came up and they besieged Jabesh Gilead, all the men of Jabesh said to him, Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. You get the picture. There is no way that they can fight this Ammonite enemy. This Ammonite enemy is far too powerful for them to stand against. They're in fear of their lives and so they want to do a pact with Nahash and they said, do a treaty with us. Um, and we will be subject to you. In other words, they're saying, whatever, whatever your terms are, we will accept them. And their terms were pretty brutal. Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty, and that treaty is that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. That's pretty brutal. What's his reasons for doing it? Well, he's got two reasons. One of them we've just read. He intends to bring disgrace on God's chosen people. He wants to hold them up to ridicule. He wants the world to laugh at them. But there's something else he's doing as well. And that is by taking out the right eye of everyone, he is preventing them from ever fighting. They can't fight him after that. See, the way people fought in those days, hand-to-hand combat, most people then, like now, are right-handed. So their left hand... Uh, was used to carry the shield and so they would carry a shield and that would protect the left hand side of their bodies and the left hand side of their faces and they would use their right eye and their right arm with the sword to, to fight. So you take away the right eye and you take away their ability to fight. So things are pretty dire for the people of Jabesh uh, Gilead and they say to this Nahash uh, this person who's besieging them threatening them and insisting on such brutal, uh, uh, brutal ways, it says, give us seven days so that we can send messengers throughout Israel to see if there's anyone who can rescue us. And Nahash is in such a position of power, he, he's, he's, he's just got overwhelming odds on his side, he doesn't mind. He knows that he, they're just putting off the inevitable. He cannot believe that in seven days any sort of army could be raised to fight him and to stop him doing what he's promised to do. So he gives them these seven days. Let's go on. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. And just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen and he asked, what is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? And then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. And when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they turned out as one man. And when Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. 
And they told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. And when the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So you have this city in complete turmoil. It's under the thumb. It's it's in a hopeless situation and yet it's begged for these seven days and it's sent out messengers. Is there a rescue? And these messengers go immediately, it says, to Gibeah. Now, Gibeah is where Saul lived. And Saul, we read, was just coming back from the fields uh, with his oxen. It's quite a thing for a king, isn't it? I think, you see, it's, this is the first king that Israel have ever had. It's not like, in a way, Prince Charles is the king-designate. He knows that all being... If, according to plans, anyway, in, probably in his mind, when his mother dies, he will be king. And when he becomes king, if that happens, he will be so well prepared. It's a tried and tested route. He knows what being a king is all about. He's so prepared. But Israel's never had a king. And Saul is being put forward to the people, and some have accepted him. This is going to be your king. This is the one uh, that God has shown Samuel to be the one who is to be the king. Some accept him, some don't, but he doesn't know what to do. He hasn't got a role. And so he's just gone home and he's gone back to the farm. And when he comes in from the fields, he sees these people weeping and, and he's asking, what's going on? Why are the people weeping? I think the people are weeping not so much for the people of Jabesh-Gilead, but for themselves. You see, once Nahash has had his way with that, with that city that's on the outskirts of their territory, uh, he, he would just get stronger and stronger. And so they know it's their turn now, but next it, it, could, be, it could be any one of them will fall under the might of Nahash and his army. And now suddenly something happens to Saul. Up until now, he doesn't know what being a king is all about. All he's been told is that God has anointed him. God has chosen him. And now this is his moment. And we read that the Spirit of God comes on him with great power. And he burns with anger. It's interesting they put it that way around. He's now filled. It's not like he got angry, he got angry, but the Spirit of God came in him and calmed him. No, it's not, it's not that. The Spirit of God came upon him with great power and he burned with anger. It's like he burned with a godly anger. Not against his own people who were weeping, but against this man who would dare, Nahash, would dare to hold up the people of God to ridicule. And he sends out a message. It's a very clear message. It says he takes two oxen and he cuts them into pieces. As far as we know, he's with his own oxen. They're probably his own. He's kind of sacrificing them. And he sends out the pieces all across the country. Fortunately, Israel is quite a small country. And he sends them out and he says to the people, look, if you don't want this to happen to your own oxen, 
then come and join me. And we read that 330,000 men, they acted as one. Suddenly, they are all galvanized together. And that, again, is the Spirit of God working through the land. It says, the fear of the Lord fell upon the people. And they came, and they convened at a place called Bezek. Now, uh, Gibeah, that's about, um, that's about 50 miles south of, of Jabesh-Gilead. So these messengers came down 50 miles to give uh, Saul the message and the people the message. Now they've convened at a place called Bezek. They've gone back up north, about 40 miles. They're about 10 miles west of this Jabesh-Gilead town. They're within striking distance of Jabesh-Gilead. And what we find, interestingly, if you look at verse, uh, at, uh, verse 7, that Saul says that he, the threat, if you like, of what will happen to the oxen is for those who do not follow Saul and Samuel. Isn't that interesting? He's not saying, look, we've had our time for the spiritual leaders. Uh, now I'm the military man. Now it's down to me. He doesn't say that. This is a time when Saul is walking with God. He is empowered by God and he wants to walk God's way. And so he says, come to the people, come and follow me and Samuel. They're in this together. There is a spiritual dimension to this fight. And so he's got 330,000 men and they meet at this place called Bezek. As I say, it's about 10 miles west of Jabesh Gilead. And they say to these messengers who came from that town under such threat, go back and tell them that they are going to be delivered tomorrow. There's a promise of delivery. And they believe it. They believe it because in verse 9 we see that they are elated. That's what it says. They believe this promise of delivery. And so they go back and they say to their enemies, almost in arrogance, yeah, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, if nothing happens tomorrow, yes, you can have us. Tomorrow we'll surrender to you. You can do to us whatever you feel fit to do tomorrow. But meanwhile, this army of 330,000 men, Saul splits them into three divisions and they go in at night. It says the first watch of the night between 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning, they go into the enemy camp and there is a great slaughter such that even those who escape, it's just in ones and twos. It's just, there's, there aren't even two together. What a great victory has taken place. What happens then? Let's look at the last few verses of our passage. So we're down at verse 12. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men to us, and we will put them to death. But Saul said, No one shall be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, Come. Let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Did you notice in verse 12, the people, it doesn't say, as I'd expected to say, 
they went to Saul. And they said to King Saul, what about all those people who opposed you? Why don't we get them together? Kill them. It doesn't say that. It says they went to Samuel. They went to this man of God. And they said to him, where's all those people who didn't believe in Saul? Didn't believe that he could be the rescuer. Bring them now and let's kill them. See, that shows me and us that those people, because they went to the, uh, the godly man, they actually believed that killing these people would be what God wanted. They thought that's what God wanted. And that was the culture then. And I think it's still the culture today. There's something in us that makes us feel that killing people is sometimes the right way forward. If you go back into the book of Judges, it wasn't long before this that, that uh, the 11 of the tribes of Israel fell out with one tribe, with the tribe of Benjamin. Interestingly, the same tribe that Saul came from. And they fell out and they simply said, kill them. Kill them. And they did. They went with force against the tribe of Benjamin and they almost wiped them out. Almost. A bit later on, there was a huge spiritual convention. All the people from all the land were called in. The last book of Judges uh, explains this. They were called from all corners of the country, come to this place. A great spiritual convention. And the people taking the register, keeping the records, they realized that no one had come from, guess where? The town of Jabesh Gilead. No one had come. What did they say? Kill them. Kill them. And they did. They went to that town and they killed pretty well all the men. It's interesting to think that maybe why Jabesh Gilead was so weak against Nahash. They were enweakened by their own people. And that's a hard lesson to learn. But that was their attitude. And now here we are. A great victory has been won. And the people come to Samuel and said, let's get those people who oppose Saul, bring them here, let's kill them. Kill them. And today, I don't know if you saw the news on Boxing Day, how an, uh, the Foreign Secretary had, ha- has authorised a, a study into how Christians in parts of this world can be protected. Because their estimate is that 250 are murdered each month. It's about eight every day murdered because they belong, they have a different faith to other people's faith. And those people from other faiths look at the Christians throughout the world and are saying, kill them. Kill them. It's their culture then, it's our culture now. But Saul steps in and he says, no one shall be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. He is saying, there is something bigger to focus on. Something that should take our minds beyond all the problems of the world. Look at the rescue that God has enacted. Look at the rescue that God has achieved. This is a time for rejoicing 
and not killing. This is, this is a time for victory and to celebrate a victory, not vengeance. And what a victory it is. Now, I, I appreciate, and my time is almost gone, that we've covered quite a bit of history. I've tried to give you historical facts. But we might just struggle a little bit to say, well, how does this apply to us? Well, there's, there's one more bit of information I'd like to give you. And in a way, this last bit of information maybe opens up to us, to our minds. God will use it to make us realize how this could apply to us. See, names in the Bible are very important. Often people have names, and God's given them names that describe maybe their character or what they're going to do. Saul was a great example. The name Saul means asked for. And he was exactly that. They had the king that they asked for. And his name was Saul. I want to go right back to the very first name that we came across in our study tonight. Nahash. What does Nahash mean? Nahash means serpent. And as soon as we realize that, doesn't that open up a new window of understanding? Doesn't the Holy Spirit take our minds, maybe even back to the Garden of Eden, reminding us that we have an enemy? And this enemy is the serpent in the garden. And this serpent is a strong and powerful enemy. An enemy that we can't stand against. We don't have the power. It's an enemy who wants to hold up the people of God to the world to ridicule them. It's an enemy who wants to blind us. It's an enemy who wants to prevent us from ever fighting him. It's an enemy who is complacent about his power and believes that no one can oppose him. And we realize we can't stand against him. And so what do we do? We do what the people of Jabesh Gilead did. We try to enter into a pact with the devil. And that pact today, if we do it, like the pact that they tried to enter into, would never be to our good. And just sometimes, when we're confronted with this enemy, when we get a picture of him, when we understand more about him, what do we do? We do what the people of Jabesh Gilead did. We cry out, is there a saviour? Is there a rescuer? Is there a deliverer? And there is. And just as Saul, under God's hand, was the, the miraculous deliverer of the people then, so the Lord Jesus is the miraculous deliverer of us now. How does he do it? In this culture, and this culture back then, and our culture now, when such, such amount of store is put on weapons and force and military might, we have a saviour who has brought about such a great victory and yet has done it in a way that we would never have guessed. His weapon was himself. This Lord Jesus, Hebrews tells us, came to this place 
looked up to heaven, said to his father in heaven, a body you have prepared for me. We just remembered that at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. In our mornings, we've been going through the book of John, haven't we? The beginning of John. And the word, Jesus, became flesh, made his home amongst us. So he looks to heaven and he says to his father in heaven, a body you have prepared for me. And then he looks at us tonight as we look on the bread and he says to us, this is my body, that same body, and it's given for you. What a rescue. No wonder God would take all our thoughts away from killing and retribution and instead would echo uh, what Saul said to these people. Look, don't focus on those kind of things now. Focus on the great victory that God has made. The great rescue that God has made who has defeated this enemy against whom we were helpless without him. Amen. We've got just a few minutes to think about a question. And the question that came to me as I was preparing this was this one. In this passage, Saul is a godly man. Saul is walking with God. He is listening to Samuel. He doesn't want to act alone. And yet history shows that Saul was one of the worst kings that Israel has ever had. History shows, and the Bible tells us, that there came a time when, when God had to reject him. How does that help us in our own faith? That's the question. How does knowing that that there can be a man who starts so well, who is chosen by God, who is full of his spirit, who walks in his way, and yet doesn't stay the course. How can that help us in our own faith? There'll be a few minutes. Let's just discuss that round our tables now, uh, and in five minutes or so, um, we'll bring those discussions to a close.